Well, hey, great singing, and uh, we want to welcome our Northridge campus right now and our chapel next door. And then, isn't it great to have Cactus with us here today? Yep, it is. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we'll let you know in a couple months when the Family Life Center is done, it's, it's, it's a huge deal. It, you'll hear later, it was part of our, our Better Together vision to pour some resources in, into Cactus, because they are a, a real potent force there in North Phoenix. And, uh, you know, to see where they've come from and where they are now is, is marked. Uh, when we started Cactus over a decade ago, it was a, it was a, it was a shut-down Episcopalian church. And, and the Episcopalians had ran that, that little campus for a long time. And true story, they actually deconsecrated the land before they gave it to us. So, you know, Tom Schrader, who was alive at that time, said, hey, you can't get lower than that, so you can only go up. And, and, and it really was heartwarming to see, you know, start off, we're going to talk about this today, a mustard seed. And to see where Cactus is today is, is one of the things you look at and you say, only God, only God could do that. And, and we're going to talk about uh, our whole church today, Scottsdale Bible, and, and what our only God future is. We're in the middle or the tail end of a little two-week vision series that we started last week, kind of become an annual thing when I come back from my time away in the summer. And then next week is a, is a one-off. It's Labor Day. And on September 12th, so two weeks from today, we start a 12-week series. It'll take all fall on the Ten Commandments. And, and I'm telling you, it's going to be an amazing look because the Ten Commandments, I think most Christians are very confused about those today. <laughs> most of them don't even know what they are in order. We're going to fix that. And, and we're going to look at how they are relevant today and what ways they are relevant. And then we're going to learn about each one and how they can affect our sanctification as well as the culture around us. So you're not going to want to miss that series. And then that'll take us up into our our Christmas series. So, vision today, uh, my only goal today is get your heart pumping about the kingdom of God and, and even what God might be doing through this local expression uh, of his church. So, why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, hopefully our hearts and minds are primed now to hear your word since we've worshiped you. We've engaged you through singing, through prayer, through some liturgy, Lord, through being with each other as the congregation, as the people of God. And so now, Lord, we want to open up your words today, the very words of Jesus. And God, I pray you'd penetrate our hearts and our minds. We're listening. And Lord, as we bounce off these words into the 21st century here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and ask the question, what does this mean for us? I pray, God, that you'd speak to us, each one of us individually, collectively as a whole, and Lord, our commitment back will be to act upon that which we know to be true and to give you all the glory and praise because it's not about us. It's about you. It's about your Holy Spirit. It's about your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray and we all say together, amen. So I was reading one of my uh, spy novels the other day by Brad Thor. Uh, the, her the hero is a guy named Scott Harvath. And, and in the novel, Scott Harvath says that the three ingredients to happiness are something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. And I like that. I thought, wow, the three ingredients to happiness are, are, are something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. So I Googled it and found out that, sure enough, people have been saying that for years. It was popularized by a philosopher years ago. And then this thought hit me. I thought, boy, that is eminently biblical. 
It's eminently biblical. Though I read it in a secular uh, novel, it, 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 the Bible has been saying that stuff in spades for thousands of years. Think about it. A key ingredient to happiness, someone to love. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians 5, marriage is a beautiful incubator of love between husband and wife. Turn the page, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children, but love them. I mean, love is all over the Bible. A key ingredient to happiness is learning to love. And then something to do. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4? I'm sure you have. Those are the passages that talk about the fact that we've been given gifts and passions from God. And we have something to do all the days of our lives. Even if you hate your job and your boss, the Bible has a recipe for that one. And that is work as unto the Lord, right? So we all have something to do here on planet Earth that gives us happiness. And then something to look forward to. Not just heaven, though that's a huge part of it, but also the movement of God here on earth. That's what we're gonna talk about today. The three ingredients to happiness, someone to love, something to do, and then something to look forward to. That's what we're gonna focus on as we wrap up our vision series today. And here's why. In the old King James, Proverbs 29 verse 18 says this. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish, amen? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Or I like how the New American Standard Bible says it. It says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. They just do whatever they want to do. And that always ends up badly. And so it's important for a church, for an individual, anybody who's a follower of Jesus, to have vision based on the very words of God and then to move forward with that vision. And that's what we're talking about at our church right now. Just twice a year, in January and in August, we take a couple of weeks to kind of reorient ourselves to what God is doing in our midst and where we believe he is leading us. It begins with our elders and then our pastoral staff and then we share it with you and we all pray about it and move forward together. More importantly, look forward to something together. So last week, we set it up by talking about our DNA. That was really important. If you latch onto the vision today, you're gonna to wanna to review last week to remember who we are as a church and why we set the vision we do. So quick review, we are a church whose DNA is clear Bible teaching uh, delivered with authentic application. We're a church who has a DNA of worshiping God in order to engage him with our hearts and minds. We have real relationships that bring healing as we all tell our stories and confess our sins. And then we serve the community around us in order to earn the right to be heard. And all of this is under the core of our DNA, which is grace. Jesus came to us full of grace and truth, and it's grace that we're rabid about here at our church. And so we've been in existence for almost 60 years, and today I wanna share with you where God is leading us as a church as we move into our future. And the theme verse that the elders and myself have chosen that will guide us, now watch this, for the next few years, you're gonna hear a lot about this verse, 
is a great little story that Jesus once told. It's a parable, which is a short story with a spiritual point, and it speaks right to the heart of our vision. And here it has, here's how it goes. Matthew 13, verses 31 to 32. It says, he, Jesus, presented another parable to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, this is a really short story, but as you've already figured out, there's quite a lot of moving parts and details in this story. But before we go any further, y'all need to remember something about parables that I've taught you before, and that is that parables are short stories with one single spiritual point. A lot of times Christians who can be very goofy, amen, uh, try to focus on all the different aspects of a parable, make this point and that point and this and that, and you're gonna get in trouble doing that. In the Greco-Roman world back then, coming out of also Hebrew literature, the point of a parable, Jesus told over 40 of them, was to communicate a single spiritual point that we need to understand in this case about the kingdom of God. Now, before I get to that single spiritual point, one of the things you and I need to focus on are the first one, two, three, four, five, six words of this parable where Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's really important. The kingdom of heaven is like. Because not all of Jesus' parables were describing for us the kingdom of heaven. But this one is. So you and I need to try to understand as best we can right now what Jesus means by the phrase kingdom of heaven. Because he used it often. He used it interchangeably with the phrase the kingdom of God. So what does he mean and again, I'm going to give you a Cliff Notes version right now. It's really for another sermon or even an entire series of sermons. But let me just take three minutes right now and fill your boots on what the Bible or what Jesus means when you add it all up by the kingdom of heaven. And here it is. The kingdom of heaven is God's spiritual reign in the hearts and minds of his people that begins here and now. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is upon you and takes us all the way to heaven. Let me repeat that, it's not complicated. The kingdom of heaven is God's spiritual reign in the hearts and minds of his people that begins now and carries us all the way into eternity. So to use our vernacular, it's Jesus as Lord and Savior who rules and reigns in the hearts of his people, those who trust him for eternal life and the forgiveness of their sins. And further, what most Bible experts point out, and this is really important, is that this kingdom of heaven, when you look closely at Jesus' words, has an internal component to it as well as an external component to it. What do we mean by that? Well, you've already kind of bumped up to the internal component of it. The fact that the kingdom of heaven is very personal between you and Jesus, so that when you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, as he himself says, he, the Holy Spirit, and the Father come to reside in you. The Holy Spirit and the Son are now operative in and through you. In other words, the kingdom of heaven has come into your mind and heart, into your very soul. That's what Jesus came to announce. 
that through accepting him as Savior and Lord, you now are part of the kingdom of heaven that lives and operates through you. It's an internal aspect to it. But then when you look further at Jesus's words, there's an external aspect to the kingdom of heaven. What's that? Well, again, it's for a whole nother message, but if you look closely at Matthew 18, verses 16 through 17, and many of you remember this passage, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Remember that, I give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, there's some traditions that have jumped on that and, and made Peter kind of the head of the church and then he's had descendants and they're the head of the church. Our tradition doesn't see it that way. And the reason is, is because when you fast forward two pages in the Bible to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives this same binding and loosing authority to all of the disciples and to all future disciples. So what is that about? Here's what most Bible experts take that to mean. And that is that Jesus not only operates his kingdom in and through individual hearts and minds, that internal aspect, but also through his church. And that there's an external component of the kingdom that's manifest in his church, any group of people that gather together in the name of Jesus and follow him together, which is all church is. So give me a head now that you understand this far, that the kingdom has this internal aspect, this internal aspect and this, and this external aspect, because in a very real way, what we're setting up right now, and we're gonna accelerate in 10 seconds, is that the church becomes a primary physical expression of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That's what you guys don't wanna miss. Because now as we go back, to our parable before us, and Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, what you need to know is that in part, not in full, but in part, he's about ready to describe his church. He's about ready to give his will and his purposes to you and me even 2,000 years later as one little local expression of his universal church all throughout the world. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, I'm telling you, I, some of you look like you're ready for breakfast. Wake up, because when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, you should be saying, ooh, ooh, what's he gonna say next? Because this is gonna affect me as I'm part of a church here in the 21st century. So uh, let's read again. <laughs> you're gonna be reading this a lot over the next three years, uh, what Jesus says. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now again, there's a lot of moving parts here, but it's really not a complicated story. There's only three things you need to focus on here, three images to understand what Jesus is saying and move toward that main point I was talking about earlier. You need to focus on the, on the seed, the tree, and the birds, right? So get that picture in your mind, a seed and, and a tree, and then birds. And some of you go, well, what's that seed look like? I'm glad you asked. I have a picture of one right here. This is a, a mustard seed. And now you see, because this is a great picture, why Jesus says it's the smallest of all seeds. You know, it's kind of sad is that Bible experts for 2,000 years have been bickering back and forth on whether it's really the smallest of all seeds. 
Really? Really? That's what you're focused on when Jesus says it's the smallest of all seeds? I mean, he might have been hyperbolic about it, or maybe that's what they knew in the first century. I don't know. His point is it's a really small seed, and you and I can see that. And then Jesus says that this small seed once planted in this great picture becomes a big tree. We know from our study today that mustard trees in the Middle East can grow to anywhere between 12 and 20 feet tall. And if you plant one in your garden, there's a really good chance it's gonna be the biggest tree that you can find in your garden. And it's so big, and I love this picture, that different birds of the air can come and nest all in its branches. That's a really rich biblical Old Testament imagery, birds of the air. Ezekiel and Daniel, the prophets, used that imagery, you're gonna like this, to talk about the nations and the nations nesting in places close to God as they repent and turn to him. So could it be that Jesus is bouncing off of this? Give me a head nod, yes, he is. That Jesus is essentially saying that this small little seed's gonna grow to become a big tree and birds are there, all the nations are gonna come and rest in its branches. And so what you don't wanna miss is the entire point of Jesus's parable here. You ready for it? And that is that the kingdom is all about growth and expansion. It's true, that, that's a simple point here. Jesus is telling us that though in the first century, to those that were watching back then, his kingdom might seem really small, like one little carpenter from Nazareth, you know, that has 12 followers. I mean, what's that gonna amount to? He says, you just wait and watch because as this little seed is planted, it's gonna grow and expand to offer salvation to everyone, to all the nations. And his church, the body of Christ, remember the kingdom of heaven is like, is going to follow suit. The church will become a primary incubator of kingdom activity. This is Jesus' primary point in this parable. And so I like how R.T. France, probably the, the, the foremost expert on the Gospel of Matthew alive today in the academic realm, says it in his very thick uh, commentary on Matthew. He says it this way. He says, the point of comparison is not the seed itself. <laughs> in other words, stop arguing about the seed, but what happens when it is sown. The main point lies simply in the huge extent of the kingdom which developed or develops over time. And sure enough, if there's anything that church history has taught you and I, it's that Jesus wasn't kidding. What starts off really small in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is gonna have massive impact on this world, even to today. Because Paul the Apostle took the gospel to Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and then he crossed the Aegean Sea and took it to Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. Then he eventually made it to Rome, as all of you know, and died there in Rome. And the gospel started to grow and expand. And, and then Augustine made sure it got all the way to Britain and then deep into Africa. And eventually it went east and eventually across the ocean west. And before you know it, it's a worldwide movement, a huge tree that Jesus prophesied about. And the point is, is that any local church that, 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 that believes and trusts in Jesus needs to have a vision that's all about growth and expansion as well. Now, it's at this point that I wanna be very, very fair and I want to talk very clearly about something that we could get wrong and get lost in if we're not careful. 
And that is that when Jesus talks about this mustard seed and applies it to the kingdom of heaven and the church, now don't miss this, this does not mean that every church in every setting will be growing and expanding. That's very important to note here because it's more complicated than that. This is a kingdom vision that Jesus gives to all of his believers and to all of his churches. But there are going to be some churches, church history has shown us this, that are in times and in cultural settings in which they're doing the best they can and they're holding their own. And God is still operative in those churches. He's growing the kingdom in their minds and hearts. He's creating more solid disciples. He's maturing people, but it might not from the outside look like it's exploding on the scene. And so we have to be very careful that we don't say that every church has to be doing that. Case in point, two of the greatest missionaries that ever lived in the last 2,000 years were William Carey and Hudson Taylor. William Carey to India and Hudson Taylor to China. <laughs> and for the first like almost 10 years of their missionary work, they had to fight for just one convert in those really tough settings, let alone building any type of church. And yet no one called them a failure. Everyone said, man, they were about kingdom activity. It's just sometime it takes, sometimes it takes time. And sometimes you might be one of those churches that might not be, you know, growing and exploding on the scene, but God is still using you in profound ways. And again, we have to be fair as we apply this. Having said that, at the end of the day, this is the vision Jesus sets for his kingdom, one of growth and expansion. And our elders have been praying about what this means for Scottsdale Bible Church. You know, before I go any further, I, I just want to share about why this is so meaningful to me, this, this parable. It's always been meaningful to me. Um, as many of you know, I, I got saved 40 years ago this year. 40 years ago last March, I became a Christian. I wasn't raised going to church hardly at all. I uh, didn't know anything about Jesus or the Bible. And it was through kingdom-minded people that God used to introduce a punk kid like me to Jesus. There was a guy named Joe on my high school campus who wasn't a church guy. He just came onto campus, but he was a kingdom in the hearts and minds kind of guy, and he shared Jesus with us. And God's Holy Spirit worked in me in such a way, as many of you know, you've heard my testimony, to respond to that. But what's fascinating, and I haven't told you this part of the story, is that shortly after I accepted Christ, my friend Joe said to me, we've got to get you involved in a church. And I had no desire to go to church. And yet he dragged me to this little church about three miles outside of the village that I grew up in. And I got to tell you, I was unimpressed. I mean, it was kind of, you know, small and, and the music, if you think of the music today, you know, was, oh my gosh, I felt like I was in a time warp. Like they're using this, this instrument from 300 years ago called an organ and singing hymns that I had no idea what they were and all this other stuff. And, and so as a young high school kid turned on to Jesus, it just wasn't for me. But what was powerful is that my friend Joe said, don't give up, you gotta find a church. The church that he took me to was a recent plant of a kingdom-minded group of people who 10 miles away decided that my area needed a church, so they planted one there. And after I finally settled down and grew a little bit, I started going to this church. And I would get married at this church. I was discipled by the pastor at this church. I got baptized at this church. <laughs> and as many of you know, I eventually would pastor this church. It's a church I came from when I came here to be your pastor 14 years ago. 
And yet if that little group 10 miles away had not seen the kingdom as an expanding type of entity, I wouldn't have found that church. And if my friend Joe hadn't believed that the kingdom needs to germinate in the hearts and minds of lost people, I wouldn't have found Christ. Why well, would have? God would have found another way. But the point is he uses kingdom-minded people. So what does this mean for SBC? <laughs> Specifically, what does this mean for SBC in the 21st century with over 60 years of kingdom building behind us in the midst of a once-in-a-century worldwide pandemic, complete with an increasingly secular nation and city, where only about 14 to 15% of our city right now is in church on a Sunday, and you have the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, in which now they outnumber evangelicals and people who say we have no religious affiliation at all. What does the mustard seed to a tree mean for you and I? That's the question that the elders have been wrestling with. And I'm gonna put away my notes right now and just kind of rely on my, my presentation here to share with you something that we have put before the elders and they have approved this and before our, our pastoral staff, really all of our staff, and now we're putting before you and Northridge Chapel before you as well, all of you online. And, and we're asking you only one thing today to pray about whether or not this feels like where God's leading Scottsdale Bible Church in these tenuous times, given who we are as a church. So here we go. First, let's cement a couple things about our history. Here's one of the things we know about our history, and that's that this January will be 60 years old, and we have 60 years, and I say this very humbly, of faithfulness and steadiness. I've actually come to grips with this about our church. Like when I say the word steady, let me ask you guys a question. Is that a sexy word, yes or no? It's not. I mean, when I came here 14 years ago, I thought, man, we're gonna become the church of what's happening now, and we're gonna do this for the valley now, and da-da-da-da, you know, and I had hair back then, and I was thinner, and all this other stuff, and I, and, and I thought, this is what we're gonna become. And then I started to talk to other pastors here in the valley. I've talked with a ton of people in the valley. I've talked with so many of you, and I realized that one of the contributions you and I make to the kingdom, and you're gonna love this, because I finally have fallen in love with this about our church, is that others see us as steady. That, that in a sea of turbulence in our culture right now, many other churches look at Scottsdale Bible Church, you know what they do? They go like this. <sighs> Thank God you're there. That's what they do. They say, Thank God that you've been here longer than most, 60 years that you started there on Shea and Miller and now are at other places and you started when there was no one else around you and, and you've gone through thick and thin, up and down, five different senior pastors and all of this and you've remained consistent and faithful to the gospel as God has used you and grown you. We have to steward that steadiness and you'll hear what we mean by that in a minute because this is part of how God uses us and who we are. And if I had one more person say to me when I first came here, oh, you're a pastor Bible? My parents love your church. I'm going to scream. In fact, when I first came here, I thought, you know, this is a church for the elderly and their parents. I mean, that's what I felt this church was like. And yet there's some beauty in that. We've gotten significantly younger over the last 14 years. And now we're put giving a strong push to that with our intergen vision that we unveiled during the pandemic. But the reality is, God's given us a gift to be a very steady church. 
and we have to store that. We had a major transition, obviously, when I came here 14 years ago, but we got through that, and that was really, really good. And then give me another click here. What we've, what we've done in the last 20 years is we've had three major vision moves, and again, I'm not boring you with detail, hopefully, but Daryl, our previous pastor, led us through Enlarge Our Hearts, and then coming out of the Great Recession, we put before you a huge vision called Compelled by Grace that you all responded to amazingly, $23 million. And then when we merged with Northridge, that's been so wildly successful, that's also been a major vision called Better Together that was allowed us to have a successful merger with Northridge and then also to do some work at our Cactus Campus. Y'all have been very faithful to the vision that's laid out. Give me another click here. Uh, you know, the impact that God has had through our church I think most of you would agree with this. We have a culture of grace. You know, we move beyond legalism. We've moved beyond a lot of pettiness. We've righted the ship, and we've gotten to the point where you all are more excited about grace and truth and Jesus than anything else. And that's been a great gift to the elders and to us because that allows us to dream big about how God might use us. This is what we reviewed last week. We have a unique DNA and identified in our values. We are truly elder-led. Myself and all of our staff are under the authority of our elders. We have AA Bible teaching, authentic application Bible teaching, engaging worship, relationality that heals, and then service-based outreach. And I'm real reticent to show you this, but you'll see why I do this in a second here. I, I think this is important to note because it'll tell you why we're proposing what we're doing. You know, like some of you and your businesses have trade magazines that are only for your trade. Um, there are a couple of trade magazines for churches, and one of them is called Outreach Magazine. And every year they, they look at the 319,000 Protestant churches and they just try to re uh, identify which ones are growing and, and which ones are larger. And again, I don't get caught up on this because it, it's all God. But, but this year we were noted as a church, you know, about 7,000 people, that's what we are. And, and, and over the last six years, uh, really over the last 14, but six in, in this slide, we've been in the larger church category. But here's what I really want you to focus on, because th this will have everything to do with why we're having the vision we have. In 2016, we were identified as one of the fastest growing churches in America. Now, what happened in 2016? It was right at the culmination of Compelled by Grace. <laughs> in other words, we set a big vision all of you rallied behind it. Remember that vision to, to reach the world and leave a legacy and, and let's be strong in grace. And we did a lot of work on this campus and then we did some work at Cactus and, and set a multi-site vision and all of that. And, and again, our church grew, that, that, that mustard seed, started to develop a few more branches. And then interestingly, I didn't see this one coming, but in 2019, we were identified again as one of the faster growing churches and that had everything to do with Northridge. I mean, obviously we merged with a church of about 800 to 1,000 people, so immediate growth, so let's not get arrogant about it. But God used that, God used that, as we knew he would, to strengthen our church here in the valley. That as we had a few more tentacles out there and united with a like-minded church, that as culture goes crazy, we were strengthened and prepared for what lies ahead. And it's been a beautiful, beautiful merger. And so that's a lot of our, our history of the church. So what are we proposing? We're calling our vision, rightly so, for the valley. For the valley. And some of you say, what for the valley? And I'm saying that's a good question. Because I want you to fill in the gaps. I want you to think of everything that we are, everything God's done in here for 60 years, and fill in the gaps. Grace for the valley. Truth 
for the valley, mercy for the valley, outreach for the valley, safety for the valley, sanctification for the valley. Whatever it is that God has done in you, what we want you to hear today is that the elders have a vision, and I think you'll join us, to be a church for the valley. And again, what do we mean by that? Uh, this is a map here of our valley. And, and again, those of you who are familiar with Phoenix, the Valley of the Sun, you know that you go all the way north here up to Anthem and Cave Creek, and then you come all the way south here to Chandler and Sun Lakes, and then you go all the way east to Fountain Hills or Apache Junction, and then you go all the way west here to, uh, to Goodyear and Litchfield Park. That's kind of the, the boundaries of this massive valley. And, and, and right now, Scottsdale Bible Church, give me another click here, has three campuses. We're working on our fourth. But we have obviously our Shea campus here and then Cactus campus here and then Northridge up here. And when you draw a circle around those campuses, this will help you understand uh, why people see us the way they do. They rightly see us as a church pretty much for Scottsdale and Northeast Phoenix. Uh, because that's what our vision has been and God has graced us greatly with that. But as we've dared to dream coming out of this pandemic and when we've Ask God, how do we steward? How do we steward what it is he's blessed us with? That's the key word. Our vision has said, based on Matthew 13, why don't we look, give me another click here, toward the east and toward the west and toward the south. It's one of the reasons we're starting our Fountain Hills campus here by the end of the year. We've been talking to you a lot about that. That's well underway. We thought, what would happen if we brought some of our DNA west over here, and certainly to the East Valley. You know, some people would be tempted to say, well, aren't there enough churches in Phoenix? <laughs> well, yes, I mean, there's 2,000 churches in Maricopa County, I've looked. But the question we've asked ourselves is, is there room for more with as secular as this city is, and it is, and more importantly, is there room for a church like Scottsdale Bible? Is there a uniqueness about us that would say, God, do you want us to move into some uncharted territory? And the answer is clearly yes, which is why the DNA message last week was so important for you guys to latch on to. Because as we look at our history, as we look at Jesus's vision for mustard seed to tree, and as we realize not every church will be growing and expanding, we're not being arrogant enough to say that. We're saying, could it be, we think it is, that God is saying to Scottsdale Bible Church, be a church for the valley. In, in short, here's what has hit us, and, and give me, is that if we can do this, if we can just start a couple of more multi-sites, the, the breadth and the outreach of Scottsdale Bible Church would truly allow us to be a church for the valley. So I've been saying it this way to our, our elder board, and that's that I think it's time for our church to fit into our ecclesiastical boots. That word ecclesiastical is just a fancy word for church. It's time for our church to grow up and to realize that God has resourced us and blessed us. And I say that very humbly because it's all about him. It's not about us. It's certainly not about me. It's about what God has done in and through Scottsdale Bible Church. And if we're storing it properly, it's time for us to fit into the boots that God has given us and be a church for the valley. So what will this mean? 
Here's our strategy, and there's something in this for all of us. You're going to love this. Obviously, first, I already talked about this. We want to add a couple of more multi-sites to our campuses. We're already on our fourth, but we envision in the next probably three to five, maybe six or seven, God is the one who's in charge of this, adding a couple of more west and south of here. And again, we're, there's no agenda here. We're asking God to lift up opportunities. We'd like to see them happen through mergers because we've learned that that really works well and there's strength in that. But we're asking him, Lord, would you please open and close doors as you see fit? As you can imagine, we're already in talks with a number of churches who are interested in this. We'll talk about why because of COVID and all that in a minute. But we're in talks with them. And we're just praying, praying, praying. The elders were on their knees Thursday night, even in anticipation of today, and saying, God, may this be about you. I love the proverb that says, in his heart a man plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. And so we're planning our way and presenting it to you, but God is in charge of this, and, and we believe this is where he's leading us, the mustard seed to the tree. Now, we've asked the question, what else, Lord, would you want us to do as we venture more into the valley? What, what, what do you want us to do? And, and what's come to us is this as well, that because we're a church that's resource-rich and has a tremendous amount of mercy, because many of you do, we have heard God say to us, give a cup of cold water to this valley. And we've asked what that means. Here's what we've come up with, and that's that part of our vision for the valley is to engage in a major foster care initiative. And you're saying, what's that about? As we've asked what we could do to serve the valley in order to earn any right to be heard, because we do so much of that right now, we've asked ourselves, what's the greatest need in the valley right now? And there's so many, obviously. You know, what most churches do is they, they, they start a food bank or something like that. Well, I was on the board of the largest food bank in the nation, St. Mary's, and, and, and I can tell you right now that between St. Mary's and St. Vincent de Paul, there's a lot of food being given out in Phoenix. And, and though we could go into the food bank industry, it, it really, there's a lot going on right there. So we don't feel really led to do that, though we certainly contribute to those drives on a regular basis. But right now, there are 14,000 kids in the foster care system in, 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 in Arizona. 14,000. The family is breaking down. All of you know this. And we've been involved in foster care for two decades now. We work with one of the top organizations on a Christian level, and we have many of our families are foster caring, and we've been involved systemically in it. But we've never really done more than just dip our foot into it. What we feel led to do, and we're going to give you more details as we find God's leading here, is we want to do something major in this area. I mean resource-heavy you're saying like what? Well, I'm reticent to share this, but I don't mind authentically sharing with you what we're thinking about right now. One of the things we've been dreaming about is, could it be God is calling us to start a foster care group home that's owned and run by Scottsdale Bible Church? Could that be? Yeah, you can clap at that. Again, for those of you in this industry, you say, well, group homes are kind of on the wane and we want to put them in families. I agree with all that. We, we're finding that out, but there still is a need for group homes. And then somebody said, as you run this by some people, I love people say, I love when people push back on me, kind of. And, uh, and, and, you know, one guy said to me, you know, and, and again, he, he walked right into it. Remember David? And he said, you know, what, what would a church know about running a group home? I'm like, really? What would a church know about foster care? 
I mean, for 2,000 years, churches have been on the front lines of foster care. We have a verse in the Bible that says true religion is about ministering to widows and orphans. And so churches for thousands of years have been on the front line of caring for them. George Mueller over in Britain. I mean, I can give you dozens of examples. And again, does Scottsdale Bible Church know how to run a group home? No, but that shouldn't stop us if that's what God is leading us to do. Uh, and secondly, and again, I want to receive the right light because I, I really do. I, I, if you go out and repeat this, it's going to be out of context, which happens often. But anyways, I... Uh, do we really want to leave it to the secularists to run the foster care system, yes or no? I don't think we do. Again, there's a lot of good going on in the secular foster care system. Don't hear me wrong in that. But the reality is, is that Christians are to be on the front lines of all of that stuff, amen? And we need to be the ones leading the way in that. And again, I, I want to say this very humbly. We've, we've asked God, you've blessed us. We're resource rich. What do you want us to do with this? And, and again, a couple more multi-sites. And then also foster care. Do something there. We feel God is calling us to. So we're going to keep you posted on this. I'll give you a timeline here in a minute. But start praying about that. And then this third thing we want to do is something I've never, ever, ever seen a church do. So wouldn't this be cool? We want to take some of the resources that God will bless us with through this vision. We'll talk about that in a minute. And we wanna help other churches coming out of the pandemic. And we've been doing our research, and again, the church world I do know, there are a ton of churches coming out of this that have been beat up, bruised, they're hurting, even here in Phoenix. And again, most churches don't ever help each other. You ever notice that? Unless you're part of a denomination, sad. Unless you're part of a denomination or something like that, it's kind of like, well, God bless you, you know, I hope you're doing well. If you're doing too well, I'm jealous and don't like you. And I mean, that's how churches function. <laughs> and we want to blow through that and say, how can we help our brothers and sisters in Christ down the road or in the inner city that, that are like-minded like us? We'll do our due diligence that love Jesus and want to build his kingdom. How can we help them with no strings attached and help them get over the hump? We thought, let's share some of our resources. That's a huge part of the vision that we have here too, for the valley. And so this really is a three-legged stool that we're wanting to build right now for the valley. Multi-site increase, foster care, let's do our part in the local church development. And so here's where we're at with this stuff right now. The elders, uh, before I left in, in June, gave provisional approval to this. You gotta love our elders. You go, what do you mean provisional? They said, we're keeping an eye on you. And that's what they said. <laughs> in, in other words, this thing has a price tag to it. And, and I'm not gonna share that price tag with you today. But we did with the elders. We shared with the elders. This is what we think this vision is gonna, if you will, cost. And I will tell you, it's the biggest vision we've ever had. And, and we don't wanna share the price tag with you today, and I'll tell you why because some of you would then only focus on the number. And that's not what we're doing here today, because that's not what it's about. It's not about money. It's not about resources. It's about God. It's about Jesus and, and what he's calling us to do, yay or nay. Do, do we, are we in this together? And, and so I'm gonna ask you to pray today. That's all I'm asking you right now, and it's not a setup. I mean it legitimately. But does this feel right for you as you think of your church and what God has done through us and what he's calling us to do. There's a lot more we're gonna do. We're involved in so many things. But as far as our For the Valley vision, right now, I just want you to ask God, 
Lord, is this where you seem to be calling us? And what could I do to be a part of this? Because there's going to be a lot for each of us to do. So the elders gave a provisional approval to this as we fill in the gaps and the details. And, and, and so today we're sharing it with you. And then we're going to start working with some key leaders this fall, uh, lay leaders, and, and starting to network with them and do a lot more research on these things and, and say, how might God be leading us in this? And then early next year, we're going to do a campaign, at least that's what we're planning, called For the Valley. And then we're going to share with you what this is going to take, and we're going to ask you to, to be a part of this. But we want to let it percolate right now. Again, it's a mustard seed, amen? It's just a little seed right now. And, and we're going to plant it and see how God grows it. I love how Paul said this in Corinthians. He says, you know, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. And we don't want to get ahead of God at all here right now. Again, I meant it earlier when I said, my only goal is to get your heart pumping a little bit and get you excited about the horizon and what God might be doing in our midst, what we believe he is doing, and pray about it. Get excited with this. And eventually... Join us, because you all are kingdom players. I know you are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you've done in this church among these dear people over the last 60 years, for some of us just the last year. And Lord, I know for many of us, we have story after story we could tell on what you have done in this church, evangelism, discipleship, outreach, service, gifts, grace. And so Lord, I pray that as we each do an audit of our own lives and, and what you've done here and then look at our church and say, Lord, where would you be leading us? God, confirm this to us, I pray. Lord, confirm this to us and help us to steward the wonderful, wonderful history and the strength that you've given us. And now, Lord, share it more selflessly with the valley. Lord, in a very real sense, this one's huge because uh, historically, at least through Compelled by Grace, a lot of it simply benefited us. And that's not wrong, we needed that. But Lord, we're asking a big one here, and that's to, to look out, to look at this valley that so desperately needs Jesus, and to say, what can we do? And so God, I pray you press upon our hearts and our minds the vision that you have for us. Lord, we will follow you. We'll give you all the praise and glory, all of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.